Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone. Happy Sunday, and more importantly, Happy Mother's Day to one and all out there. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. We've got a great show for you as our man, Guppy Money, a.k.a. Sean Harnish, going to be joining me in the second segment. Terrific baseball handicapper. Going to talk a little bit about how he uses umpire trends in his handicapping. Take a look at today's slate. Just look at some general trends as well. And look at what teams might be in the running for Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel. So that should be a lot of fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. Did not have any Twitter questions for today. As always, if you ever have a question that you want answered on the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GUNITRScore81. But with that, let's take a look back at a pretty insane Saturday slate of games and try to find some trends from them and try to become better handicappers as a result of it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. It was a pretty insane start in the Boston Red Sox versus Seattle Mariners game. The Mariners scratch across four runs in the first inning, including a Jay Bruce home run. But then from there, the Boston Red Sox hang an eighth spot in the third inning, All eight runs scored with zero or one outs in the inning. 
as they are able to pull off a 9-5 win for the Mariners. They continue their power. The Bruce home run was his 12th of the year, and Omar Tavares went deep for his sixth inning of the year. He was able to get a home run off the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox, which seems to be getting a little bit brighter. Brandon Workman and Ryan Brazier delivered some scoreless innings as the man that gave up that home run was Colton Brewer. All in all, they've been looking good, and Rick Borsello, after that terrible first inning, actually settled down. Final six innings of his start, he wound up giving up no runs, so he gave up the four in the first inning. He now has a 5-1-5 ERA, and for the Red Sox, they were able to really do a good job of teeing off on Felix Hernandez, who just looks lost out there. Mitch Moreland, his 12th home run of the year, and Sandy Leone with his first stinger of the year. Meanwhile, for the Mariners and Felix Hernandez, he goes two and a third innings, gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. He now has a 6.82 ERA, and the man that relieved him in the third inning, Rayonis Salias, wound up giving up two runs in his one and two-thirds innings. But then from there, if you have any sort of redeeming quality with the Seattle Mariners, it's the fact that they had four relievers come in, all with ERAs below four, and they all delivered scoreless innings. So obviously that's a good sign, but all in all, very big day for the Boston Red Sox there. The Detroit Tigers were able to take game one of two in their double dip with the Minnesota Twins by a count of five to three. Spencer Turnbull is the pitcher that you really got to be looking to bet on at this point. In five and two-thirds innings, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. One of those was a home run. Supplying the power for the Minnesota Twins in that one was Jason Castro's fifth home run of the year. C.J. Krohn wound up adding his eighth home run of the year in the eighth inning off of Jose Jimenez. But for the Detroit Tigers, they are dead last in the big leagues in regards to home runs, and they actually got some power in this one. Ronnie Rodriguez goes deep not once, but twice his fourth and fifth home runs of the year. Those both came off of Michael Pineda, who we always call Michael Pineda. Brandon Dixon was able to add a home run late. That was his second inning of the year. And then they got a little bit of unexpected power. The catcher spot has been a little bit sketchy for the Detroit Tigers, but John Hicks winds up getting his second home run of the year. Michael Pineda got to continue to fade him, and sadly, this was one of his better starts. In six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were hurt, all of which were home runs, as the Tigers had four home runs in this game, and for the Minnesota Twins, they just had all their home runs be solo shots. But in game two, they certainly did get their revenge as this start went about as well for the Detroit Tigers as you could expect one to go when you send out their Gregory Soto to the mound. He had started just three games at the AA level in seven years in the minor leagues. All the other games were at the A-ball level. And it showed as in four innings, he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. And then for the Minnesota Twins, it was that guy again, C.J. Crone, who had a big home run off of Soto. His ninth of the campaign, he had three RBI in this one. And then Marwin Gonzalez was able to get going. His third home run of the year, he's upped his average at 221. Good sign there. And then they were able to get a decent start out of Cole Stewart. A little bit unexpected for this team as he was able to go six innings. He gave up three runs, all of which were earned. Obviously not lights out or flames or anything like that, but considering he was making a spot start, not too bad there. The Tigers were able to get a home run out of Jameer Candelario. That was his second year of the year, but all in all, things didn't necessarily go well. Though if there is one redeeming quality with this team, it's the fact that the bullpen gave up only two runs across both games in the double dip. So I guess that there's that to be able to hang their hat on. 
And then in an interesting game that was delayed quite a bit by rain, how about the Pittsburgh Pirates getting a 2-1 win over the St. Louis Cardinals, cashing as a big-time plus-money underdog as for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They didn't do anything flashy in this game, that's for sure. They only got a grand total of four hits, but it was Jordan Lyles that was really able to do his job. Six innings pitch, he gives up just one run. He now has a 2.09 ERA, and he advances his record to 3-1. and And the bullpen of the Pittsburgh Pirates is able to get the job done. Francisco Lariano... Felipe Vasquez, Kyle Crick, and Richard Rodriguez all held up their end of the bargain. Meanwhile, when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, Miles Mikolas had a pretty good start in this one. He probably didn't deserve the loss. He goes seven innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. He now is a 383 ERA. After a rough start to the year, he has looked very good. If you are looking for an encouraging sign for the St. Louis Cardinals, it is the fact that Andrew Miller had a scoreless outing, and John Gant now has an ERA of a .77. He's been great out of the bullpen, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, the bats are either completely on or completely off. In this game, just two hits. Very hard to win a game when you have only two hits. Obviously, not a lot of offense out there in the great state of Missouri. There's a lot for the Cubs to be able to hang their hat on as they were able to get a 2-1 win over the Milwaukee Brewers. This one went 15 innings. If you're looking for something that you can't hang your hat on for the Chicago Cubs, it's hitting with men in scoring position. They were 0-9 in that. They left 14 men on base. But it was Wilson Contreras who was a hero being able to hit a 15th inning home run. That is his 10th of the year as he was the difference maker here. Cole Amels had a terrific start in this one. Goes seven innings, gives up one run. That one run was a dinger to Hernan Perez. That was Perez's fourth home run of the year. Meanwhile, the bullpen of the Chicago Cubs provides eight scoreless innings, including four from Tyler Chatwood. He now has a 310 ERA. That's absolutely stunning. And everyone, aside from Carl Edwards Jr. that came out of the bullpen, left with an ERA of a 405 or better. So seems like the Cubs are really shoring up that bullpen. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they got another terrific start out of Zach Davies. I'm going to say it right now, he's a dark horse for the Cy Young. Six and a third innings pitch. He gives up one run, had just one walk in this game. One five four is now his ERA. And then Corbin Burns looked very effective out of the bullpen. Josh Hayes was able to deliver a good inning and the man that wound up giving up the home run for the Milwaukee Brewers is Birch Smith. He had been doing a good job out of the bullpen and he was in his fourth inning of work. A little bit understandable there as all in all the Brewers just couldn't get out of their own way. Four hits in 15 innings. Just not going to cut it. What is going to cut it though is the Chicago White Sox being able to get seven runs as they knock off the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 72. Got to continue to take unders with the Toronto Blue Jays and Marcus Stroman continuing to descend after a good start to the year. Six and a third innings. He winds up giving up four runs, three of which were earned. That did include a home run. And then from there, the bullpen of the Toronto Blue Jays, which had been good all year long, winds up giving up three runs as well. Derek Law wound up giving up two of them. And then Luciano wound up giving up the other for the Chicago White Sox, supplying the power in this one was Yomer Sanchez for his first homer of the year. He is finally on the board in that regard. And Ivan Nova now has back-to-back solid starts. He winds up going six innings in this one. He did give up a dinger, but that was the only run that he gave up as providing that power was Randall Gritchick. His seventh home run of the year in the White Sox bullpen continues to be good. In three innings of work, they give up just one run, and that was given up by Colome, who has a 2-2-5 ERA. He's been doing a great job for the White Sox as this is a team that's now rolling. They looked very good in their series against the Indians. Sands at Manuel Benuelo started, and they're looking good in this series. The LA Angels bat seemed to be really getting back as they were able to get a 72 win over the Baltimore Orioles. Matt Harvey was only able to make it four innings in his start, but the good news is he only gave up two runs in this one. He did give up a home run, and 
The dinger that was provided for the Baltimore Orioles was by Dwight Smith Jr., his seventh home run of the year. That was better than what Dylan Buddy could do because in five innings, he winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned. That does include two home runs, both to Albert Pools, his seventh and eighth of the year. Albert Pools took a couple days off, and now he's back in the lineup, and he's certainly making his presence felt. And for the Angels, they continue to be a very trustworthy bullpen. Five innings of scoreless baseball. You had four different relievers come in, and they were all nails. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, the bullpen continues to be a little bit of an issue. Jacob Yacobonis gives up a run in his two innings of relief, and Gabriel Yona winds up giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. He had been pretty good for this team all year long until then, but we all know it's Baltimore Orioles' bullpen, which has the second-worst ERA in the bigs, so no surprise there. Another team that's had a pretty good bullpen this year is the Cleveland Indians. They wind up losing to the Oakland A's by a count of 3-2. to two. For the Oakland A's, they were able to get a walk-off single from Roman Loreno to break the tie, as Trevor Bauer wound up having a pretty good start in this one. He goes seven innings, gives up two runs, none of which were earned as a pair of errors by Jose Ramirez and Jake Bowers were the only reason why he gave up runs and then A.J. Cole comes in in the 8th and ninth innings and he winds up giving up the game. For the Cleveland Indians, the lineup really let them down. They were able to get a home run out of Leonis Martin. That was his 6th home run of the year and this team was just absolutely awful with men in scoring position. 1 for 13. The Indians offense just can't get out of its own way and the A's have been struggling themselves on offense. They only got 4 hits in this game but they were very lucky that they were able able to do a good job with men in scoring position, hitting two for four there. And Aaron Brooks actually had an opener go in for him, Liam Hendricks. He winds up pitching an inning, and he didn't give up anything there. And then Aaron Brooks from there, the original starter, goes four innings. He gives up just one run, but he jacked up his pitch count. He gave up 91 pitches, but then from there, the A's bullpen was able to get the job done. Blake Tryon wound up giving up a run, but all in all, still a very good sign from the Oakland A's, who did not use Joaquin Soria or Fernando Rodney in this game, so note that they might be coming in tomorrow. And what might be coming in tomorrow for the Rays is probably not too much relief as they've got Blake Snell going tomorrow. But they used quite a few relievers in their game against the Yankees on Saturday as Yonis Torinos was able to go four strong innings after Ryan Stanek, the opener, was able to deliver two scoreless innings and they get a 72 win. Torinos gave up two runs both of which were earned, and those were provided by a home run of DJ LeMahieu. That is his second home run of the year, but past that, the Tampa Bay Rays in general were pretty solid. CeCe Sabathia, another decent start. Nothing great, nothing awful. Five innings pitch. He does give up two runs, both of which were solo home runs. Providing those home runs were Yandy Diaz for his eighth of the year. He would tack on his ninth of the campaign a little bit later. And then Avicio Garcia gets his sixth home run of the year, but the Yankees' bullpen did not necessarily look good in this one. Jonathan Holder continues to struggle. He now has a 4-5 ERA. He gives up two runs in one inning. And then the real bugaboo for this team was Nestar Cortez Jr. as he winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned in two innings, including one of those Yandy Diaz home runs. And for the Yankees, they just weren't able to get a lot of offense generated. Five hits in this contest, just was not going to be able to cut it. And for the Marlins, they're not getting much offense whatsoever. They get just one run off of Jacob deGrom and company with the Mets as the Metropolitans get the 4-1 to win there. Jacob deGrom, seven strong innings. He gives up one run, and that one run was off a Sandy Alcantara double. Yes, the opposing pitcher as Alcantara did his best work with the bat, ironically, in this one. In five and two-thirds innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. From there, the bullpen wound up actually providing some good relief, not giving up a run, but those two home runs were provided by Keith Alonzo, his 12th of the year, Michael Conforto, his 8th, and the Mets' bullpen seems to be getting a little bit better. Seth Lugo and 
Edwin Diaz wind up both not giving up a single run in their inning of relief. So obviously some good signs there for the New York Mets who continue to struggle a little bit with the bats, but they still have some very solid pitching. The Phillies also got some very solid pitching. 7-0, they knock off the Kansas City Royals. Brad Keller continues to be a pitcher that is probably still the best for the Kansas City Royals, but hasn't necessarily been getting the job done, especially with the walks. Five innings pitch, he has four parade passes, gives up six runs, five of which were earned, none of which were home runs, but he was just getting hit around left and right. If you're looking for good news with the Kansas City Royals, Brad Boxberger has lowered his ERA to a 5.87, and then Willie Peralta wound up giving up a run on the bullpen as well. But for its for the Kansas City Royals in this one, not getting the job done, but what was getting the job done for the Phillies was Zach Eflin, his second complete game in his last three starts. You've got to be betting on Zach Eflin at this point. He goes nine innings, four hits, 110-pitch complete game. He now leads the league in complete games, which... For any guy that's able to get multiple complete games in a year in 2019, it's obviously sensational. So, got to tip your hat to him there. And the NL East in general had a very good day as the Atlanta Braves knock off the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 6-4. Kevin Gosman, by far his best start of the year. Six innings pitch. He gives up one run, had six punch outs. And then from there, the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves had a little bit of a hairy ride as Josh Shomlin winds up giving up Three runs in his two innings of relief, including two home runs, providing those bombs for the Arizona Diamondbacks was Adam Jones, his seventh, and Blake Swihart, his second. But Merrill Kelly winds up taking the loss for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Hard to figure this guy out, and it wasn't necessarily his worst start. In seven innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. One of those hits that he gave up was a home run. That was to Brian McCann, his third home run of the year, and then the bullpen from there didn't do him any favors as... Johan Camargo was able to get his second home run of the year. Yoshi Hirano was the gentleman that gave that one up. He now has a 5.79 ERA. Archie Bradley sitting with a 4.67 ERA. He winds up giving up two runs as well. So the Arizona Diamondbacks certainly seeing a dip in their bullpen. And speaking of bad bullpens, the Texas Rangers, as the Houston Astros take them down by a count of 11 to 4. They technically gave up all 11 runs from the bullpen because Jesse Chavez served as an opener for one Drew Smiley. He winds up going one inning, didn't give up a single hit or anything like that. And then from there, Drew Smiley winds up giving up five runs, four of which were earned. And those were all courtesy of Alamendez Diaz, who winds up getting a grand slam for his third home run of the year. Michael Brantley also hit a dinger off of Mr. Smiley. That was his 10th home run of the year as the Houston Astros wound up getting another terrific start out of Garrett Cole. 12 strikeouts in six innings. He gives up just one run. If you are looking for something and be nitpicky with the Houston Astros, Chris Davinsky winds up giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning of relief. He now has a 5-1-7 ERA. The Houston Astros have the best bullpen ERA on there in the bigs, but he's been a little bit of a weak leak there as Hunter Pence was able to hit a home run his seventh of the year, and then Ronald Guzman, his third of the year. That was off of Davinsky, but all in all, things going well for the Houston Astros, and the San Diego Padres continue to be badly undervalued. This underdog was able to bark as they get a 4-3 win. Joey Lucchese had a nice start in this one. Five and a third innings. Gives up just one run. The bullpen was a little bit hit or miss in this one. Chris Damon winds up giving up a run and Brad Weak won as well, but Kirby Yates has to be the best closer in the bigs right now. His 16th save for the San Diego Padres and then the Padres were able to get a pair of home runs. Will Myers, his seventh of the year. He had been in a slump. That was huge for him. And Hunter Renfro, his fourth home run of the week and his 10th home run of the season. He's really found it with the bats. And for the Colorado Rockies, 
Charlie Blackman has also found it with the bat. He was able to provide his sixth home run of the year. He is hitting 300 at the top of the lineup. And John Gray, a decent start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, including those two home runs. But it was Wade Davis out of the bullpen that wound up giving up the winning run. He has not necessarily looked good in the past week, so that is something that you definitely want to note if you're betting on the Colorado Rockies. Something that you want to note if you're betting on the Cincinnati Reds is the fact that their bullpen continues to be nails. They get a 5-4 win over the San Francisco Giants as all four runs were given up by the starter Anthony DiScalfani in this one. He goes just four innings, gives up all four earned runs, including a home run. Supplying the power for the San Francisco Giants on this night was Evan Longoria, his sixth of the year, and Jeff Samarja continues to not have good outings whenever he goes up against the Cincinnati Reds. In four innings pitch, he wound up giving up three runs himself, including a home run. And then from there, Trevor Gott also gave up a home run, so things were essentially all squared up in the fifth inning. Supplying those home runs for the Cincinnati Reds was Eugenio Suarez, his 12th of the year, and Yasiel Puig, a man who hasn't really gotten a lot going, his sixth thinger of the year. And then for the Cincinnati Reds, Five innings from the bullpen. They give up a grand total of one hit. Dylan Hernandez continues to be great. Amir Garrett was able to deliver a good inning. And then Rossi Iglesias was able to close the door. And for the San Francisco Giants, a bullpen that had been in the top five in regards to ERA seems to be failing them right now. Mark Melanson looked good in his inning of relief, but it was Reyes Moranta who wound up giving up the game-winning run. Will Smith continues to look good out of the bullpen as well, but with the San Francisco Giants, definitely stocked down on their bullpen. And the state of California in general has stocked down on their bullpen, unless if it's the San Diego Padres, as the Washington Nationals put up a five spot in the eighth inning to be able to get Max Scherzer a win. They take it by a count of five to two. If you had the under in this game, that's just a brutal beat. As Gerardo Parra, a grand slam off of Dylan Floro for his second home run of the year. Max Scherzer, it looked like it was going to be a tough luck loser. In seven innings, he winds up giving up two runs. Those were provided by a Justin Turner home run, but past that, he had done another sensational job out there on the mound. And to the Nationals' credit, John Doolittle continues to be great out of the bullpen. He gets a save, and he has a 1 ERA. And Wander Suero with an ending of relief without giving up a run. What a concept. And the Nationals' offense in general should be a little bit better. They get Juan Soto back in the lineup in this one. Anthony Rendon has been back for a couple games, so obviously that helps. And then for the Dodgers, Walker Beeler, by far his best start of the year. Seven innings pitch. He doesn't give up a single run. It's tough for him to not get the decision in this one as he was absolutely terrific. Pedro Baez winds up being on the hook for three of those runs, but all of them were unearned as... In that eighth inning, the L.A. Dodgers commit a pair of errors with Justin Turner having a bad throw and Kike Hernandez as well. And then you take a look at it. Dylan Flora was the man that wound up giving up that grand slam. He still technically has a zero ERA as a result. Yimi Garcia has been doing an okay job out of the bullpen for this team as well. But, man, that is just one of those things where if you had the L.A. Dodgers, all you could do is sit there and shake your head. So the big takeaways from Saturday, the Seattle Mariners continue to play over. The Red Sox offense continues to be terrific. The Twins continue to be good, unless if you got Michael Pinata out there on the mound. The Angels' bats have really emerged. The Blue Jays continue to play unders along with the Indians and the Oakland A's. The Tampa Bay Rays look very good on offense with Austin Meadows back in the lineup. The Mets continue to get some good pitching. The Arizona Diamondbacks' bullpen and the Texas Rangers' bullpen continues to be 
untrustworthy. The San Diego Padres continue to be undervalued, and you can continue to trust the Cincinnati Reds bullpen, and the Washington Nationals should be getting a little bit more offense in the near future. So that was what I took away from Saturday. Now let's turn the page forward to what we're all going to be seeing on Mother's Day, and helping me do so is going to be our buddy Guppy Money, a.k.a. Sean Harnish. That is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. Great pleasure to have on our next guest. He's a gentleman that does a very good job of being able to keep up with a lot of MLB trends. He's always tweeting them out. And he also tweets out a daily umpire report as well. This is a gentleman that is doing a good job of being able to cover all aspects of baseball betting. You can follow him on Twitter at Guppy Money. That is G-U-P-P-Y. And then the word money. It is Sean Harnish joining me. And Sean, how are you doing on this fine Mother's Day? I'm doing excellent. Excellent. Waiting to see all those pink bats come out. All those fun looks from each team here today. Oh, absolutely. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And then first things first, it doesn't necessarily have to do with any specific game or anything like that. But I know that you always put out an umpire report looking at like the overs and unders, how road teams and home teams are doing whenever that specific ump is out there. Have you noticed any trends from this umpire report? Because I'm not one that necessarily goes too far in depth on umpire reports, but I know that sometimes there is a little bit of an edge to be had with it. Well, uh, you know, to be completely honest, I'll do my handicapping throughout the day. I'll get it finalized. Then I will look at the umpire report. If I'm on a fence with a play and maybe, you know, I'm looking towards an over and I get it an under umpire, then perhaps I'll, you know, come off of it. But like you said, I don't put too much value in it. I do know that just like anything, things get streaky and you can ride certain ones. I remember last year, Brad May, I believe, was 16 straight overs. So, you know, maybe it's fun to ride those. I don't put as much money on them, but emphasis-wise, unless if it's a handful of guys that I know notoriously through five, six, ten years behind the plate, they are an under-ump. I don't put a tremendous amount of value on it, but it is part of my handicap. Absolutely. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, the last two games with this umpire has went over. That means that even though we've got Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer in a total of 12, this game isn't going to go over or anything like that. So obviously it's one of those things that you sort of just, it's sort of like the cherry on top, I guess you could say. Exactly. And there's not a lot of access to it. So I figure I throw it out there and people can do as they wish with it. And it leads to some fun conversations anyway. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And then I know that we've got some terrific games on the slate for Mother's Day, one of which involves a pitching matchup that I think is a little bit intriguing. You've got the Marlins and the New York Mets. Noah Syndergaard, a guy that had a terrific complete game about a week, week and a half ago. He hit the only run of that game with a home run first player since I believe 1983 or 1984 to do so. And then you've got Caleb Smith on the other side for the Miami Marlins. A guy that has an ERA right around two. He has been lights out this year for the Miami Marlins. What is your takeaway on this one? Because obviously the Miami Marlins being the, well, Miami Marlins are the underdog in this one. But we've noticed that Syndergaard sands that really good start hasn't necessarily been himself this year. Yeah, I agree with all that. And you see Smith coming in and, and what we definitely noticed in the last few years, especially with baseball being so analytic driven that it's really 
hard to jump on a good young pitcher with value early. The linesmakers are hip to all of the really good pitchers, and it's tough to get value on these guys. Someone like Smith five years ago, you'd be getting, you know, plus 200, plus 160 in all of his starts for the first month of the season. But now we've seen him getting a lot of respect, not only from the linesmakers, but from the betting public too, but for good reason. He has, you know, tremendous stuff. The one sort of bright spot amongst this Miami team. And like you said, on the other side, Syndergaard, not really sure what to make of it, but seems like another year where the Mets pitching staff is sort of not living up to expectations, whether it's injury or whatever it may be. And just the Mets in whole always come in, you know, this is the year and it's the same situation. They can't hit, they walk a lot of guys. And Syndergaard's situation concerns me a little bit. I would like to see a few quality starts put together before I'm ready to back him. If I was going to play this game, it would definitely be on Caleb Smith, but it is so hard to back a team that's scoring two runs a game. The one thing I will say is if you look at the trends, and you look at getaway day for Miami this year in the last game of the series, the under is 12 and one. I do put emphasis on that with certain cities, especially like Miami. Now, of course, they're on the road half the time, but down in Miami, especially during the weekend, teams are down there Saturday night before they leave. They're going out, which leads to usually low scoring game Sundays. I know this one's up in New York, but same thing. New York's another city where Saturday night, you're in New York, you're going out, which usually leads to low-scoring games on Sunday. So I'll be eyeing the under, although I'll probably be leaning towards the runs, hits, errors side of things, which should be around 23. And I'm seeing a total on this game of 6.5 with the over at minus 120 juice, as we do have Sean Harnish joining me right here on the podcast. And with the Texas Rangers, their bullpen, one that is really hard to trust. They had to send out their Jesse Chavez yesterday, and you know that guy's Ooh. like, Jose LeClerc, Springs and Company, they're not necessarily doing the job, to say the least. And there are just a couple teams out there in which, when it comes to the bullpen, you just can't trust them. The Texas Rangers, certainly on my list. The Baltimore Orioles are well the Baltimore Orioles, that's a given. But then the Washington Nationals as well. Or just a couple teams where you just sit there and you say, I want absolutely no part of this bullpen. Yeah. And you know, there's some other teams that may surprise some people, including Milwaukee, that you look at runs allowed in the eighth and ninth inning. Milwaukee's given up over a run a game, and that's a lot. Just to put sort of things in perspective, last year, two teams in all of baseball gave up more than a run per game in those last two innings. And, you know, you look like other teams, Yankees, same thing, even worse, 1.18, almost identical with Washington. It doesn't feel like it, but they're giving up those runs. And you see guys like Kimbrell, and other guys out there that still are without her team, it's real interesting as we get to that June 2nd deadline is where you don't have to pay the draft pick in order to pick up these guys that are out on the market right now. The fight that it will be to sign these guys, but there's some definite contenders that really need to to sure up their bullpen. I'm right there with you as we do have Sean Harden joining me right here on the podcast, MLB Overtime Betting and being a Milwaukee Brewers fan personally, I've been calling for the team to sign Craig Kimbrell and sign him today, to say the least. Who do you think are some of the teams that might be going after his services as well as Dallas Keuchel's? Because it's one of those things where I think that the Brewers should probably sign both of them, but I know that they're hmm. definitely not. And there are so many teams out there that they could use either a starter, a reliever, or in some cases, both. Right. Well, the devil himself, uh, Scott Boris, representing Keuchel. I believe Boris basically single-handedly destroyed free agency, and we're going to see 
it all come to a head very shortly with the new collective bargaining agreement. But we see that guys aren't getting paid anymore. And if teams are willing to take a shot at their draft picks getting paid zero money, then pay any guy's top money. Us, many guys are out of a job right now. But yes, Milwaukee is probably going to be top of the line for Kimbrough as far as Keiko. I know the Yankees want him, but uh, I don't think that's a good fit for him. I think you look at someone like Minnesota, because Keiko, I don't think, will sign a one-year deal. He's going to look for two or three. A team like Minnesota that's on the up, but also contending, and already said that they're willing to spend a whole bunch of money and get rid of whoever they have to to improve this team and make a run this year. In this case with Keiko, they won't have to give up anything after June 2nd, but those would be my contenders. I don't think the Yankees are going to do as much as people think. There's other fringe teams like Atlanta that I don't think they, they don't really believe they're ready. The Cubs, interesting. St. Louis would be my other spot for Keuchel, but I really think Milwaukee and also Minnesota, it's a two-team race for both of those guys. I do agree with you there, and I think that the Twins are such an intriguing team. They get off to, I would say, perhaps the most interesting start of any team out there in baseball, certainly the most surprising. I've been fading them whenever Michael Pineda's been out there on the mound, but past that, They've been absolutely spectacular. Martin Perez has been one of the better starters out there in baseball. He's going to be going on Sunday against the Detroit Tigers who send out there Daniel Norris. Right now, I am seeing the Twins as about a minus 185 favorite with a total on this game of nine. This is a game in which I certainly do look at the under just with the way that the Detroit Tigers are hitting in general. They just have absolutely no pop whatsoever. And Martin Perez looks like the Martin Perez that we saw back in like 2013 with the Texas Rangers. He's been great. Yeah, you know, imagine this Minnesota team if they had a healthy Sano that could actually hit a ball. Oh, yeah. What that lineup would look like with him in there. You know, you're signing a 40 home run guy in the middle of the season. It's interesting, but I agree. Minnesota, a very interesting team, especially when you look at that division and you see Cleveland really struggling at the top. They're reminding me a lot of the last year when Francona was in Boston, where the team just looks disinterested. When the owner comes out and tells the fans you better get to know Lindor and Jose Ramirez now because they're not going to be around in a couple years, a lot of weird things going on around that organization, which gives Minnesota a clear path, really, right to the playoffs. And we'll see how they'll do. They've had the advantage of not facing many lefties. This will only be the fourth lefty starter all year they've faced. Detroit, same thing, also haven't faced many lefties, but every game that Minnesota and Detroit has faced a lefty, they've all gone over. Only eight, but still something to think about. But it is interesting to see as Minnesota gets deeper into their schedule against teams that have lefty starters, if they can produce. They got Nelson Cruz, they got other guys that supposedly will be able to hit lefties, but this one's interesting. As far as today, Detroit, what's this, their fifth game in 50 hours? They've played a lot of games and they got Houston coming in too. So a lot of innings on that bullpen. If I was going to go with the under, it would definitely be with the first five. And that's in your favor. Detroit's the best first five under team in all of baseball. That's something to think about. But going beyond that into that Detroit bullpen, I would be very careful. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there as the Twins have been doing a very good job of holding down their opponents all year long, aside from when Michael Pineda's on the mound, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah. A team that has absolutely no offense going at this point is the Toronto Blue Jays. They play host to the Chicago White Sox with Lucas Giolito. Actually looked good in his last start against the Cleveland Indians going for the White Sox. Meanwhile, it's Aron Sanchez going for the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm seeing a total of eight and a half with it shaded over. 
I just don't know if I'd be able to take an over in this spot just because ever since Vlad Guerrero Jr. got with the Toronto Blue Jays up in the major leagues, this team as a collective is hitting under 200, and they've actually been one of the best under teams ever since Vlad Guerrero got up to the big leagues. Yeah, you know, it's funny what happened after that series when Vlad Jr. was up there and they filled the stadium and everybody was all happy. The owners came out and said, okay, we're ready to trade everybody. Stroman, Smoke, everybody's on the trading block. Remember that weird move that they traded Morales right at the start of the season? That was a weird one. But ever since then, and I made a remark and said, watch out. You know, when you have an owner and a GM that comes out and just basically says, we're going to trade all your leaders away. How do they bounce and react from that? And Smoke went into a slump. Stroman had a bad start. So that's something to eye. But I do agree with you with the unders up there. 12-5 and five at home right now, one of the better under teams. It's an interesting story north of the border because they're locked in and they have a lot of unhappy people that have season tickets for a long time up there. They're going to have to put something better on the field than what they have. It could get really ugly really quick up there, but I, I like where you're going with the under in that one. So maybe I wait a minute to see if that hits nine. I definitely like the under at nine. And again, first five, perhaps another good spot for that as well. Yeah, either an unjuice eight and a half or a minus one ten nine looks like a very good play there. As Sean Harness joining me right here on the podcast, and then I've been talking about some teams that I like the under with. Here's an over that I'm really looking at, 953-954. Pittsburgh Pirates on the road against the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals have been a little bit inconsistent with their bats, but something that has been consistent, Dakota Hudson giving out free passes like they're candy. And then meanwhile for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is a team with a pitching staff that has just been so badly taxed that they've got Stephen Brault making another start. I'm right now seeing a total of nine with the under at minus 120, which means you're getting the over at even juice. I just... Can't find any reason to play the under here. I know that the Pittsburgh Pirates have been a little bit anemic on offense, but they're getting back guys like Starling Marte, Gregory Polanco and company. And with Cardinals, they've got some very good bats themselves. And I don't trust either of these pitchers giving up any fewer than three runs. I agree with you. You know, always a competitive series, Pittsburgh and St. Louis. Always seems like, you know, you get the best out of both teams here. But you're right. St. Louis, a team that on paper looks fantastic. And they did a sort of a rebuild really quick. The middle of the order is great. They would probably be my second favorite team in the National League, but they have to kick it in gear. They face a lefty in Brault today. He's been rocked lately. Five games, one start out of those five games. 12 innings though, 12 hits, 10 runs. Like you said, well, seven walks for him as well. So expect a ton of base runners on both sides. Hudson, like you said, very average at best. Both pitchers, have had some success against each other, but when you really break down the numbers, you know, the hard contact and the exit velocity has all been there. Batting average on balls in play, they've been very lucky with. So it's not like the teams haven't been putting the bat to the ball. Both pitchers just sort of got lucky in the small sample size that they do have. We saw the over go way over the other night. This is another one that I'll look towards the first five over with St. Louis is they're one of the best First five over teams in all of baseball hitting at over 68% on the year. We'll see how that goes, but I like where you're going with that one. Always check lineups Sunday. I know you might agree with me here that Sundays are just the toughest day to handicap. It seems like you're sitting around, you're waiting, you're waiting. You end up maybe putting too much emphasis on a lineup thing because it's Sunday, because you're just sort of in that indecisive mode on Sunday because of the lineups making things really tough to handicap sometimes. 
I am right there with you. I feel like Thursdays and Sundays are the toughest because those are typically getaway days. It's where you most often see a guy maybe get a day off or something like that. You give him a little bit of rest because a lot of teams do typically have off on Mondays as well. So I completely agree with you there as we do have Sean Harnish right here on the podcast. And Sean, is there anything else on Sunday's board that's really standing out to you? We've obviously got a couple games are off the board because we've got some undecided pictures and everything like that. But we certainly do have a couple marquee matchups like the Yankees versus the Rays is going to be a marquee one. I'm really curious to see what happens with the Padres versus the Colorado Rockies, Nationals, Dodgers. So we've got a very full slate. What's really standing out to you? Well, you mentioned that Colorado game. I thought San Diego is the one team that sort of like the Minnesota version of the National League a little bit, except they're doing it their way. But a little surprising, happy, you know, fun story. But at plus price, you're still getting them at really good value most of the time. Colorado, a three o'clock start. They've started this two years ago now. Why? Because they used to do that four o'clock start. They were one in 28. In two and 56, starting at home at four o'clock on Sundays, for whatever reason, the quick turnaround or whatever it was, to the point that they switched the starting time. And it's worked for them. It has worked for them. But the key is San Diego leaving Colorado. And it's sort of a new metric in baseball. And I'll touch on it real quick. It's air density, basically, and how much ball movement from the pitcher moves. And, you know, from cores to sea level, it's a three inch difference. And it takes a pitter over, you know, two days to adjust from going to cores from elevation or going up to elevation. And that's why we've seen it. Teams that have left cores are 0-6 this year in the following game. So that's something to follow. And that's been something other than the year before, a trend to always follow. Also leaving Texas and stuff like that. But I'll take San Diego today at a plus price. I'll fade them tomorrow if they do play or Tuesday. San Diego, fun story going forward, also could be in the mix for Dallas Keuchel. I completely agree with you. The Padres have been a very profitable team so far this year, and the bookmakers haven't seemed to have just have adjusted to this team enough, in my opinion, as you're still able to get a lot of plus prices on them. And Sean, I'd like to close it up on with this. I know you provided some tremendous insight today. You provide some tremendous insight on your Twitter feed as well with the umpire reports. A lot of good trends on like the Tampa Bay Rays first inning stats and everything like that. Let the good people out there know where they can find you on social media and how to follow your work. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Guppy Money. It's spelled just like it sounds, G-U-P-P-Y-M-O-N-E-Y. Always trying to improve my timeline, so always open to suggestions, what people might want to see, what they want. I do a podcast, used to do it a lot more you know, almost daily. Now it's sort of a little sporadic with having a six-year-old at home, obviously, but trying to get more into that. But you can follow me there. DM me, ask me any questions you want. I'm glad to help. I'm glad to have people like you that give everybody an outlet to listen to as far as people that are trying to better themselves as handicappers. And I think you're doing a great job, not only in this, but definitely in college basketball as well. So keep up the good work. I appreciate you having me on and Happy Mother's Day to everybody in your life, I guess. Yes, happy Mother's Day and a big thank you to Sean for those kind words and joining me right here on the podcast. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board. As coming up next, we touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. 
And that's the inspiration of my new podcast. That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. Sean Harnish for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now, it is that time of the podcast. I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. It is that time for the normal disclaimer that some of these plays are all locked in, they're already bet on, everything like that. Some of these plays, I'm still waiting on different numbers, lineups, everything like that. All of that will be noted throughout the podcast, and all numbers that I get when it's all said and done, going to be up on my Twitter page, at score 81 As per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and it starts with 9.51, 9.52 on the banging rotation. You've got the Miami Marlins, and they are in New York to face off against the Metropolitans. Craig Smith goes on the bump for the Marlins. Meanwhile, going for the New York Mets, Noah Thor Syndergaard. Tolling this game is 6.5 with the over at minus 115, the under at minus 105. If you like the Marlins, going to be getting anywhere between plus 145 and plus 150. Want to take a shot here on the Mets? You're going to be laying anywhere between minus 158 and minus 160. Syndergaard had that very nice complete game a few weeks ago against the Cincinnati Reds in which he had the lone run of the game with his home run. But other than that one game, he just hasn't necessarily been himself so far this year. Meanwhile, Craig Smith, he pitches on a completely poopy team, but... He's been doing a very good job so far this year. You take a look at Craig Smith. He's got an ERA of a 2-1-1, 3-0 record, 0.89 whip. He's only given up five home runs in 42 and two-thirds innings. Syndergaard, seven home runs given up in 49 innings. And with Smith, he's one of the best punch-out artists out there in the big leagues. 56 strikeouts in that time period. Meanwhile, Norris Syndergaard, 5-1-4 ERA. He's given up 53 hits in 49 innings. Craig Smith, just 26. Both these teams don't necessarily have trustworthy bullpens, especially the New York Mets. Both these teams in the bottom half of the big leagues in regards to bullpen ERA. So I do think that this total is a little bit low. I think that Smith is going to give up a couple runs, and I think that Syndergaard is as well. So for that reason, I am going to take this total over. With the Marlins, we know that they've got the worst offense out there in the big leagues. They're averaging fewer than three runs per game. But they do have a couple guys that are doing a decent job of being able to get on base. You've got to like what Jorge Alfaro is providing. He's hitting nearly 250 with five home runs so far this year. The outfield is just absolutely atrocious. You've got Curtis Granderson hitting below the Mendoza line. John Birdie hitting just above 200 himself. And then in the infield, you've got Sterling Castro hitting 235. Neil Walker's actually come on with his average of right around a 280. Miguel Rojas is falling back to earth with a 250. And then whenever Martin Prado's out there, he's decent. But we've seen the Mets have their woes on offense as well. They were able to have that nice outburst on Friday. But past that, they haven't gotten a lot generated. Jeff McNeil at the top of the lineup is terrific. He's hitting 360. But you take a look at some of the other bats. Brandon Nimmo and... 
Tomas Nito both hitting right around the Mendoza line. Amid Rosario has come on with his 275 average and Michael Conforto hitting right around 270 himself. But Pete Alonso seems to have his average dipping. We all know what he's able to do with the power. 11 home runs, 31 RBI, but he's now hitting right around 270. J.D. Davis has done a decent job of being able to get on base, but I do think that the Marlins are going to be able to have them a little bit stifled with Craig Smith out there on the mound. Obviously, you don't necessarily want to trust in Sergio Romo trying to close out a game, but with that said, I do think that runs are going to be a plenty for both teams. I think the Marlins wind up pulling this one out. Currently, Wayne Simo on the over, trying to get minus 110 juice, and I'm in Wayne Simo because I don't think too many public betters are going to be taking the Miami Marlins here, so in Wayne Simo, but I'm going to be on the Marlins and the over. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting rotation. Pittsburgh Pirates head to St. Louis to face off against the Cardinals. Going for the Cardinals is Dakota Hudson. Meanwhile, Sean Brault goes for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Total in this game is 9, with the under at minus 120, the over is even juice. If you like the Pirates, you're going to get a plus price here anywhere between plus 135 and plus 138. One late with the St. Louis Cardinals, that's anywhere between minus 146 and minus 150. I have a very tough time trusting in either of these two pitchers, but the Pittsburgh Pirates have really been having to run through their bullpen quite a bit because they're having all sorts of injuries with their starters, especially having Chris Archer out, has set them behind the eight ball, and Stephen Brault is a guy I have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. He enters with a 7-11 ERA because he's open to giving up runs all the time. In just 12 and two-thirds innings so far this year, he's given up three home runs and seven walks. Meanwhile, Dakota Hudson, he has his walks issue himself. In 35 innings, he's given up 18 walks and nine home runs. The good news for him is that the Pittsburgh Pirates aren't necessarily mashing to say the least. In 36 games so far this year, they have just 31 home runs. Josh Bell is really leading that charge. He's hitting 299, nine home runs, 29 RBI. And then you take a look at Gregory Polanco. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to give this team some good contact with a 300 average. He's only had two or three home runs this year, though. You have to like that Brian Reynolds has stepped into the lineup and is hitting above 300 as well. And Kevin Newman hitting 370 is a little bit of a godsend. But then you've got so many other guys that are just not living up to their billing right now. Jung Okong hitting a buck 33 is completely killing them. Elias Diaz hitting below the Mendoza line as well. Colin Moran is hitting 240. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got a much better lineup. Now Matt Carpenter at the top of it hitting 201 is obviously a woe, but Paul DeYoung is hitting 327 along with Jose Martinez. Marcelo Zuna has seen a tip in his average, but he's got a double-digit amount of home runs. Paul Goldschmidt seems to be picking it up with the bat. Dexter Feller hitting just below 300 himself. Colton Wong is falling back to earth, but Yadier Molina has heated up and with the St. Louis Cardinals you've got a much better bullpen as well so for that reason I am all aboard the over and I've already locked it in and I'm taking a look at a Cardinals run line price here currently I'm seeing plus 135 I really think they're going to get to Stephen Brault in a bullpen that I have absolutely no faith in so I'm going to try to see if I'm going to get plus 140 or plus 145 on this run line if the best I can get is 135 I'll gladly take it but on the run line of the Cardinals and the over 955, 956 on the banging rotation the San Diego Padres are in Colorado to face off against the Rockies. Antonio Sensatello goes for the Rockies. Nick Marigavicious goes for the San Diego Padres. Total in this game is 11. The over is minus 110. The under is minus 110. If you like the Padres, you're going to get anywhere between plus 106 and plus 110. One late here with the Colorado Rockies. You're going to be laying anywhere between minus 116 and minus 120. I do feel like 
Maragavicious is a little bit of an underrated starter. In general, with the San Diego Padres, you know that you're going to get some very good bullpen pitching. This is one of the top bullpens out there in the big leagues. And for the most part, the Rockies have been so far this year, but we've seen some guys like Brian Shaw, Wade Davis, and company just not look like their normal self. And then when you get into guys like DJ Johnson, it doesn't go well for you. Meanwhile, Antonio Sensatella, he's the worst starter in this matchup. 2-2 two two record, 567 ERA. He's given up six home runs in 27 innings. That doesn't lend itself well to Coors Field. Meanwhile, Marigavicious, he gives up a little bit of hard contact himself, 36 and a third innings. He's given up five home runs. And the 13 walks are a little bit high, but he does a better job of being able to get punch outs than Sensatella as well. And what we've noticed with the Padres is they don't necessarily have the best team batting average, hitting 230, but they have 57 home runs in their first 39 games of the year. They are dealing with having Fernando Tatis Jr. on the injured list, but Eric Hosmer has been picking up the slack. Ever since the slow start to the year, he's hitting much better. He's hitting right around to 277. He's provided six home runs. Famio Reyes has 10 dingers on the year going into Saturday. You've really got to like what you've seen out of him. Manny Machado has been struggling a little bit, but now he seems to be picking up. His average is right around 250 along with Hunter Renfro's, who he had three home runs last week that was able to get him online. The catcher spot in general has been a woe, and Will Myers hitting 230 is a little bit eye-opening, but then you take a look for the Colorado Rockies You've got a couple guys that are struggling with the bat as well. Ian Desmond is starting to pick it up, but he's still hitting just above the Mendoza line. Garrett Hampson and Mark Rounds are right around that mark as well. You are getting a lot of production out of David Dahl, who's hitting above 300. Charlie Blackman doing a great job at the top lineup as well. And Tony Walters has been a big surprise, hitting 289 himself. And the real matcher for this team is Nolan Arenado. You're obviously able to get some power with Trevor Story, who's hitting right in the neighborhood of 280 himself. But Nolan Arenado entering Saturday was hitting 325, 10 home runs, 32 RBI. We all know what he's able to do, but I just don't think it's going to be enough in this spot. I think the San Diego Padres do have the upper edge in pitching, and they do have a lot of guys that are able to hit for some power. So for that reason, taking the plus price here with the Padres and the under, I've already locked in the Padres at that plus price. Currently, Wayne Seamode on the under, trying to see if this ticks up a little bit more. 9.57, 9.58 on the betting rotation. You've got the San Francisco Giants playing goes to the Cincinnati Reds. Tyler Molly goes for the Cincinnati Reds. Madison Bumgarner for the San Francisco Giants. Drawing this game at 7 with the over between minus 115 and minus 120, the under between minus 105 and even juice. If you like the Reds, you're going to get a plus price anywhere between plus 119 and plus 120. Want to lay it here with these Giants. That is anywhere between minus 129 and minus 130. Madison Bumgarner throughout his career has been a very consistent starter, but we are noticing that he's starting to lose a little bit. And Tyler Molly has actually been a pretty decent starter for the Cincinnati Reds despite his record. He should not be 0-5 right now. ERA of a 369 in 39 innings. He's given up five home runs, 41 strikeouts, just eight walks. Madison Bumgarner, he saw his great command. In 49 and two-thirds innings, he's given up eight walks, but he's getting hit more than he did in his past. 49 hits in 49 and two-thirds innings. Whip of a 115, 399 ERA. His record is 2-4. and four. So both these guys have been pretty solid on the mound so far this year. But what I like about the Cincinnati Reds is, despite the fact that they're hitting as a collective just 212, they did have 56 home runs in their first 39 games. Meanwhile, for the Giants, just 35 home runs in their first 38 games. I know that their offense has been coming around a little bit, but still, their best player in regards to average is Tyler Austin, a guy who they acquired a few weeks ago. He's hitting in the 280s. And then from there, it's Steven Duger at a 252. Evan Longoria has not come around with the bat. Buster Posey's been out of the lineup recently. Joe Panic is hitting right around 236, which is nice. And Steven Voigt, ever since getting into the lineup last week, has been absolutely amazing. He's hitting 467, but we all know that that's not going to last. What is probably going to last, Brandon Belt and him batting 225 
Brandon Crawford is hitting below 220 himself. You've got so many guys on the team that they're just not getting the job done. Meanwhile, with the Cincinnati Reds, they call up Nick Senzel, and he's already got three home runs for the team. Joey Votto, he's not going to bat 206 all year long. Eugenio Suarez has gotten his average up to a 248. He and Jesse Winkler have combined for 21 home runs so far this year. Dandy Dirk has 10 himself. He's hitting right around 240. And with the Cincinnati Reds, their bullpen has been nails all year long. You can trust in guys like Michael Lorenzen, Amir Garrett, and company to be able to do a good job. Really the only trust, untrustworthy reliever you have is Zach Duke. Meanwhile, for the Giants, they've got some good relievers like Sam Dyson and company, but the long relievers, whenever they need to go to them, just have not been good. And I do think that the Reds are going to be able to win this game, and they're going to be able to win this game by a couple runs. So for that reason, I've already locked in the plus price with the Cincinnati Reds. Currently, Wayne Seymour on the over, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of minus 110 juice, so that way I'm not laying it. But I think that the Reds are going to be able to get to Madison Bumgarner, and they're going to dig into a bullpen that just has not been its same self for the San Francisco Giants of late. 9.59, 9.60 on the bag rotation. The Washington Nationals are in Los Angeles to face off against the Dodgers. Hun Jin Ryu goes for the Dodgers. Stephen Strasburg for the Washington Nationals. Total on this game is 7 with the over at minus 120. Under is even juice. If you like the Nationals, you're going to be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 135 and plus 146. Meanwhile, if you like the Dodgers, you're going to be laying quite a bit of juice. That is anywhere between minus 145 and minus 156. Steven Strasburg has had his struggles so far this year at Hunjin Ryu, coming off a complete game shutout, but I do think that this is a good spot for the Washington Nationals to be able to get right. Hunjin Ryu, 4-1-2-0-3 ERA, 0.81 whip, but he has given up the long ball a little bit. In 44 and a third innings, he has given up six home runs, just two walks though. Now that is absolutely sensational right there. He's got terrific command. Meanwhile for Strasburg, 14 walks in 51 innings. He's given up six home runs in 51 innings, but the 68 punch outs, very, very impressive. And with the Washington Nationals, they're finally starting to get all of their pieces back into the lineup. Trey Turner is still on the injured list, but Anthony Rendon has been able to return for them. He's hitting above 300 before going on the injured list. He had six home runs at 18 RBI. Adam Eaton is doing a decent job of being able to get on base. He's hitting nearly 290. We saw Juan Soto return to the lineup yesterday. He's hitting right around 250 himself. He's able to provide a lot of power. You got to think at some point Gerardo Parra and Brian Dozier are going to be able to hit above the Mendoza line. And Jan Gomes also now back in the fold. Meanwhile, for the Dodgers, they are able to get a lot of power. Jack Peterson has 12 home runs this year. Cody Bellinger hitting just below 400 with 14 home runs himself. But we've noticed that his power has been declining. Alex Verdugo with his 330 average has been a godsend. And we've noticed that the catcher spot in general has been a wolf for this team. Justin Turner is picking it up with his average as well. So for that reason, I am all about the over in this spot. But I do think that the Nationals, with having all their pieces back... And with the Dodgers having some untrustworthy guys, we've seen Kenley Jansen really be able to blow some games this year. Yimi Garcia is a guy I have zero faith in whatsoever, and Joe Kelly is not what he once was. I know that the Nationals' bullpen is not good themselves, but I think that Strasburg gives a little bit of a better start, and they get to the L.A. Dodgers' bullpen. So for that reason, going to be on the Nationals and the over. Just in wait and see mode as to what numbers I get, because I'm noticing that there's a lot of steam coming in on the L.A. Dodgers. 961-962 on the betting rotation. The Atlanta Braves are on the road, facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Max Freed goes for the Atlanta Braves for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Good old to be decided. And what that means is that we currently have no numbers up on the board. Now, from what I'm seeing on Twitter, it looks like we're likely going to be getting Zach Godley as a starter in this one. And he has been 
ungodly bad for essentially the last two years for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So if this is the case, now this is obviously a big if since it's not official, I would have to be all over the Atlanta Braves and I'd probably be looking at a run line in this one. Max Freed has been pretty spectacular himself. 4-2 record, 297 ERA. He's given up five home runs at 39 in the third innings. He's got 34 punch outs, just eight walks. And he's backed up by a lineup that's pretty darn good. Freddie Freeman hitting above 300. You've got Dansby Swanson who towards the bottom of the lineup has been able to drive in 25 runs. We all know what Ronald Acuna Jr. is able to do. Great combination of speed, average, and power. You've got Josh Donaldson towards the middle of the lineup who's hitting now right around 255, 260. Nick Marquez is hitting 300 and Ozzy Albies does a great job along with Brian McCann and Tyler Flowers, whoever they put in there at the catcher spot. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, they're backed up by a pretty good lineup as well. Cattell Marte has been doing a nice job of being able to deliver some power. He's got nine home runs, nearly 30 RBI. Eduardo Escobar hitting right around 290 and David Peralta hitting 320 himself. Christian Walker hitting near that 300 mark. We noticed that Adam Jones got the day off yesterday, but whenever he's in there, he's been providing some average and some good power as well. Nick Ahmad hitting 255 at the bottom of the lineup has been nice as well, but Zach Godley is a guy that can just derail a game for you at any time. He has been just absolutely awful for this team. His ERA currently sits at a 749 in 33 two-thirds innings so far. 21 walks and opponents are hitting 280 off of him. This is a spot where I would probably be taking a look at the Atlanta Braves. Would need to see how the total shakes out. If it's under 9, I'd probably look at it over. If it's over 9, then it's anyone's guess. You got to think that the Diamondbacks bullpen with guys like Archie Bradley and company, they're all going to be on call and they're going to be going in right away at the moment that Zach Godley gets into trouble, which should be pretty early. So if this is a pitching matchup that we get going to be all about Atlanta Braves, either money line or run line, and it would depend on the total that we get in regards to the over-under, but check back in the morning for official plays on this game at Union Earth Square D1. 963-964 on the bag rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers are in Chicago to face off against the Cubs. John Lester on the bump for the Cubs. Ulysse Justine for the Milwaukee Brewers. The total on this game is currently off the board because it is a Wrigley Field game, but we do have the Brewers currently as a plus 120 to plus 125 underdog. If you like the Cubs, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 130 and minus 135. This is one where I'm going to take the Cubs and I'm going to be in wait and see mode just because with John Lester, I noticed that the Sharps really like to fade him, and I just don't understand why. I know that his fielding independent numbers aren't necessarily the best, but that's because he is backed up by a pretty good team. And you notice John Lester this year, in 32 innings pitch, he's only given up three home runs. He's got 33 strikeouts, just seven walks, 2-1 record, 1-4-1 ERA, 1-0-3 whip. That's pretty sensational. Meanwhile, with Jacine, he's been very inconsistent so far this year. He's had some pretty good starts, and then he's had some starts that you just want to throw away into the garbage. 5.03 RA and 39 in the third innings. He's given up eight long balls and 20 walks. With the Chicago Cubs, their bats were a little bit tired yesterday. You could tell that they weren't getting a lot going, but we've noticed that Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo have been doing a great job with their power. They have a combined 21 home runs with Rizzo now hitting above 250 and Javi Baez hitting more in the realm of 316. Wilson Contreras was able to hit that game-winning home run yesterday. He's been doing a very nice job for this team. He's hitting above 300. He's got 10 dingers, and then the other guys are doing a decent job as well. Kyle Schwarber seems to be picking up with the average. It's still at 236, but he seems to be getting out of his funk, as does Chris Bryant. He's now up to a 242. Jason Award has been falling back to earth. His average is now 267, but David Bodie does a good job of being able to consistently get on base as well. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they're a little bit feast for famine with the bats. Lorenzo Cain has his average down to a 245. Jesus Aguiar 
and Travis Shaw both hitting below the Mendoza line. Travis Shaw has been essentially mitigated to the bench. Mike Moussakis has been in a little bit of a cold streak. He's now hitting 257. Yasmani Grandel now hitting 261. And Christian Yelich is a guy that's really holding up his end of the bargain for the team. 15 home runs, 341 average. He's been absolutely sensational. I will say that Ben Gamble and his 291 average has been a little bit of a godsend for this team. And they needed it because Manny Pina himself has not been very good, hitting just a 143. So for that reason, going to be on the Cubs' money line in the spot. Just in Wayne Seamode on that. With the total... Probably going to be looking at an under. We noticed that Chasin has pitched pretty well in his career against the Chicago Cubs. And with John Lester, he has been lights out this year. You got to think that both bullpens are going to be a little bit tired. But one thing that you do want to know with the Milwaukee Brewers is that Josh Hader is going to be available for this game as well. So currently on the Cubs, just in wait and see mode as to what number I'm going to get. And obviously can provide a total since it's currently off the board. 965-966 on the bang rotation. It is the LA Angels in Baltimore to face off against the Orioles. A pair of young pitchers going in this one. As for the Angels, it is Griffin Canning. And for the Baltimore Orioles, you've got Jonathan Means on the mound. Total in this game is 9. And the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under between minus 110 and even juice. If you like the Baltimore Orioles, you're going to get a plus price anywhere between plus 140 and plus 147. If you're taking a look at the Angels, that is anywhere between minus 153 and minus 157. I do like what I've seen out of Canning so far this year. 1-0 record, 4-6-6 ERA. He hasn't necessarily gone deep in his start zone. Two starts, just nine and two-thirds innings. He's not necessarily gas canning games either, which is good because he's backed up by one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. He's given up just one home run and two walks in that very limited time span. And 13 strikeouts, I will say, is pretty nice. So maybe I was underselling him a little bit there. Meanwhile, Jonathan Means has proven himself to be a pretty trustworthy starter. He doesn't necessarily go deep into games either, but a 4-3 and three record, 248 ERA, 101 whip in, 40, in 32 and two-thirds innings. He's given up just four home runs and seven walks. He's been doing a very nice job. We have noticed that the Baltimore Orioles' bats have gone a little bit cold. Trey Boom Boom Mancini is doing it all for this team. 322 average, seven home runs, 16 RBI. Dwight Smith Jr. has added in some power as well. He's got seven dingers to go along with his 280 average. He's been doing a great job of being able to drive in guys as well, but you've got some guys that are really struggling out there for the Baltimore Orioles. Jonathan Villar has seen his average as Jonathan VR has seen his average dip down to a 245 Rio Ruiz hitting 242 now Jeff Rickard hitting below the Mendoza line along with Richie Martin Chris Davis and Actually, multiple catchers as wins yesterday hitting just a buck 18. I will say that Stevie Wilkerson hitting 268 is nice, but all in all, you're not getting a lot out of the Baltimore Orioles bats. And the LA Angels seem to have emerged a little bit with their power. I will say it's a little bit surprising that Mike Trout is only hitting 280, but getting Albert Pujols in the lineup and getting him two dingers yesterday was big. He's only hitting 224 for the year, but those eight home runs are nice. Brandon Goodwin is hitting above 300 along with Andrelton Simmons and Daniel Fletcher. Zach Cozart, so whoa, he's hitting a buck 27. Jonathan Lucre hitting 260 is pretty average. And then when you take a look at Tommy Lasella, you're getting a guy that's doing a little bit of everything for this team. He's now hitting 260. He's got nine home runs despite spending some time on the injured list, which is big because Colette Calhoun has only been hitting 240, though his power is picking up as well. And Joey Otani hitting below the Mendoza line ever since he's come back. I do think that Jonathan Means is actually the better starter in this spot. And the Orioles bullpen... I'm not going to tell you that it's great. Believe me, I will not be doing that. But with that said, it seems to be improving a little bit. So for that reason, I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles. I'm sure not too many public betters are going to be backing that side. So I'm in wait and see mode trying to see if I can get a better number. But I've already locked in the under on this game. I think that both teams are going to have a little bit of a struggle trying to score. 967-968 on the bag rotation. It is the Seattle Mariners on the road to face off against the Boston Red Sox. 
Hector Velasquez goes for the Boston Red Sox. Marco Gonzalez for the Seattle Mariners. This pitching matchup was not announced until after the end of the Boston Red Sox thrashing of the Seattle Mariners yesterday, so it is currently off the board. And we've seen the Seattle Mariners really be giving up runs in the first two games of this series, but I do think that Marco Gonzalez is exactly the guy needed to be able to stop this for the Seattle Mariners. He has been by far the best starter this year. 5-1 record. 3.08 ERA and 52 and two-thirds innings. He's given up just four home runs and 13 walks. And meanwhile, with Velasquez, he doesn't necessarily have the worst ERA, but the thing about him is he's only going to give you about three innings in his start, which means that you're going to see a whole bunch of bullpen arms that are coming out for the Boston Red Sox. You're probably going to see a heavy dose of guys like Brandon Workman. you got to think that Barnes is going to be seen at some point in the game. You always run the risk that Tyler Thornburg is going to come in. He's got an ERA above eight. And one thing we know about the Seattle Mariners is that they've got power. In their 42 games so far this year, 77 home runs. And we've seen it on full display. Edwin Encarnacion, 12 dingers. He's only getting two 37 and Jay Bruce doesn't have a great average himself, but he's got a double digit amount of home runs. Domingo Santana, 36 RBI. D Gordon hitting a little bit over 300. And with the Boston Red Sox, we all know that their bats are really starting to come alive as well. Mitch Moreland has not been doing a great job with regards to his average, but he's got up to a 231. He's got 12 home runs. Sandy Leon was able to get a big hit for the team, and Christian Vasquez at the catcher spot has been doing a great job of upping his average as well. Really, the only guy that's lacking now in the Boston Red Sox lineup is Jackie Bradley Jr. is hitting a buck 59. Is Michael Chavis hitting 260? He's got some power. Rafael Devers above 325. Andrew Benatendi and Mookie Betts both hitting between 285 and 290. JD Martinez still hitting above 300. Xander Bogarts 260 himself. So we're seeing some solid contact being made with the Red Sox. But what we're noticing with the series is that a lot of these totals are coming out at 10 plus. If I'm getting a 10 in this spot with Marco Gonzalez on the mound, I'm going to be taking it under. I I know he's not necessarily backed up by the best bullpens, but I do think that the Mariners are going to hit a couple solo home runs, and I think that it's going to be enough in more of a 4-3 to three game because I think that Gonzalez is going to be able to deliver a nice start, and I think that the Seattle Mariners are going to provide his couple solo home runs to be able to get this game in a little bit of a lower-scoring contest. So those are my early leads. Check back in the morning on my Twitter page, at Union underscore 81, for official plays just because, well, we currently have no numbers up on the board. 969, 970 on the betting rotation. It is the Chicago White Sox in Toronto to face off against the Blue Jays. Aaron Sanchez goes for the Blue Jays. Lucas Giolito for the Chicago White Sox. Total in this game is 8 with the over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 if you like the under. That is anywhere between minus 105 and even juice. If you're looking at the Chicago White Sox, you're going to be getting a plus price between plus 105 and plus 112. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it here with the Blue Jays, that is anywhere between minus 108 15 and minus 122. The Toronto Blue Jays are just a team that I cannot back with their offense at its current form. We were talking about it a little bit earlier with Sean Harnish. This is a game that I really take a look at the under with. Lucas Giolito has had his command issues throughout his career, but he actually seems to be rounding into form. He looked very good in his start against the Cleveland Indians a couple days ago, and he's 3-1 and one with a 4.06 ERA, and he's backed up by a bullpen that has actually been greatly improved for the Chicago White Sox. We're noticing guys like Jace Fry and company coming out of the bullpen doing a better job. Colome has actually been a very good surprise for this team. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, Aron Sanchez is very lucky that he doesn't have a higher ERA. 3-3 record, 3-2-1 ERA. In 42 innings, though, he's given up 25 walks. The four home runs, obviously, is not bad, but the 1-4-5 
five whip is a concern. And Giolito himself, 15 walks and 31 innings. Not necessarily a ringing endorsement there, but... It is a total mismatch when it comes to the bats. The Toronto Blue Jays as a collective, hitting 221. The White Sox, 224. 46 home runs for the White Sox this year. 38 for the Toronto Blue Jays. As for the Blue Jays, they're really relying on Randall Gritchick for power. 255 average, 7 home runs, 18 RBI. Justin Spoke has seen his average dip all the way to a 231. Freddie Galvis, who was really the best hitter for this team all year long, is now hitting 277. Flagger or Jr., ever since he got the call up to the big leagues, has been hitting below the Mendoza line. And Rowdy to Les, not doing a lot for this team. 237 average, 6 home runs. Teoscar Hernandez, and whoever they stick in at the catcher spot. It doesn't matter which of them they have. All hitting below the Mendoza line. Eric Sogard doing a nice job at the top of the lineup. He has a over 400 OBP, but past that, not getting a lot out of this team. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, Lurie Garcia at the top of the lineup hitting 290. Yoan Moncada right in that neighborhood as well, and he's been able to provide some power himself. You take a look at Ryan Cordell. He's only hitting 234 as this. Outfield in general has not been getting the job done, but I will say that ever since Charlie Tilson got called up to the majors, and they needed it because Yonder, Alonzo, and Wellington Castillo both hitting below the Mendoza line, but James McCann hitting 376 with four home runs has been a nice find. Jose Abreu hitting 272 with his nine home runs at over 30 RBI have been nice, and Tim Anderson has been able to provide seven dingers along with 320 on the average as well, and I do think that the Chicago White Sox going to once again do a good job of being able to hold down the Toronto Blue Jays in this spot, so for that reason, I am going to be on the Chicago White Sox and have already locked that in, and I've already locked in the under as well. Feeling very good about the White Sox being able to give a nice pitching performance on Sunday. We move on to 971-972 on the betting rotation. The New York Yankees are in Tampa Bay to face off against the Rays. We've got a good pitching match up here as Masahiro Tanaka goes for the New York Yankees. Blake Snell for the Tampa Bay Rays. Total on this game is 7 with the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The under between minus 110 and minus 115. If you like the Tampa Bay Rays, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 153 and minus 160. Want to take a plus price here with the Yankees. That is anywhere between plus 143 and plus 150. Tanaka has had some up and down starts so far this year, but so has Blake Snell. In two of his last three starts, Blake Snell has lost to the Kansas City Royals and gotten shelled in both of them. Now, he came back with a nice start in his most recent outing, but with that said, it is hard to have your faith in him right now because he does have a 362 ARA, and he's given up six home runs in 37 and a third innings. Masahiro Tanaka, right around the same neighborhood in regards to hard contact, 45 and a third innings. He's given up seven home runs. A couple more walks with 14, and Blake Sale saw his great swing and missed stuff. 50 Ks in 37 and a third innings, but I do think that the Yankees are going to be able to get to him. They're getting most of their big bats back in the lineup. You've got Gary Sanchez and Luke Voidu having combined 21 home runs and 51 RBI. DJ LeMayu has been great at getting on 331 average. Gio Urshula has really been a great find for this team. He's hitting above 330. Glaber Torres hitting 286. Clint Frazier 297. He's got some power. Miguel Anduar at some point you gotta think he's gonna pick it up. He's hitting just a buck 43. And Mark Talkman only hitting 200. You gotta think that at some point he's gonna be able to pick it up along with Brett Gardner who's now below the Mendoza line. That was a little bit of a shocker. But for the Tampa Bay Rays, they are getting back a little bit of offensive firepower themselves. Austin Meadows being back at the DH spot is huge. He's hitting 354. Seven home runs so far this year. Yandy Diaz was able to go deep twice in their game on Saturday. He now has nine niggers. He's hitting 280s. 
267. Tommy Pham at a 284 is nice, but then you've got some guys that are not really doing it with the bat. Travis no hitting just .74. That's not one or two .74. That's .74. Willie Adams and Guillermo Heredia at the bottom of the lineup, both hitting below 240. And then you don't know what you're going to get out of Daniel Robertson as he is hitting below the Mendoza line. But what I will say is that Brandon Lowe also doing a great job with an average above 300, and he's provided eight home runs himself. So this is a spot in which I do look at the over, but I do think that the New York Yankees are going to be able to get to Blake Snell, and I think they're going to be able to hit him hard. I'm currently Wayne Seymour as to what numbers I'm going to be able to get on the Yankees and the over in this spot, but I do like the way that the Yankees have been performing. They're going to be having Adam Adovino and Aroldis Chapman available in the bullpen as well in a close game. So for that reason, going with the Yankees and going with the over. 973-974 on the bang rotation. The Minnesota Twins play host to the Detroit Tigers. Daniel Norris on the bump for the Tigers. Martin Perez goes for the Minnesota Twins. Total in this game is 9 with the over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you like that under, that is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Minnesota Twins, across the board, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 210. Want to take a plus price here with the Tigers? That is anywhere between plus 170 and plus 185. This is a spot where you just have to take a look at the Minnesota Twins. They've been playing some absolutely sensational baseball so far this year. And with that doubleheader and the Tigers being so badly injured in regards to their starting rotation, Jordan Zimmerman currently on the 10-day injured list. And you've got so many other guys who are currently without, I believe, three starting pitchers for the foreseeable future. It really does cause me to take a look at the Twins' run line, especially with the way that Martin Perez has pitched so far this year. 5-0 record, 2-8-3 ERA, whip of a 1-2-6 in 41 and a third innings. He's given up just two home runs. 16 walks are a little bit high, but all in all, he's been great. Meanwhile, with Norris... He's given up four home runs in 28 and a third innings, which is a little bit high. The 3-8-1 ERA actually is not bad. 1-4-8 whip. He's not like a terrible starter, but at the same time, he's not a guy that I want to stick my chips in the middle with, especially with the Tigers struggling with the bats. They're hitting just 228 as a collective. 29 home runs in their first 36 games of the year. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Twins are ripping the cover off the ball. Eddie Rosario hitting just 225, but going into their doubleheader, 13 home runs and over 31 RBI. You've got Jorge Polanco, who's hitting well above 300 himself. Max Kepler has been providing a lot of power of his own. He's at the top of the lineup, hitting more in the realm of 260. Mitch Garver, seven home runs. He's hitting nearly 370. Nelson Cruz hitting 275. CJ Crone is picking it up with the bat as well. He's hitting above 240 now. Jonathan Scope hitting 280. Byron Buxton at the bottom of the lineup does a good job of being able to get on. And just imagine what they'll be doing when you hear Adrianza, who's currently hitting right around a buck 20, gets online himself. This is a spot in which you've got to take a look at the Twins. The Tigers' bullpen just completely gassed. And with the Minnesota Twins, they don't necessarily have a great bullpen, but they've got enough arms to be able to shut down a Detroit Tigers lineup that, let's face it, has been very, very lackadaisical to say the least. Miguel Cabrera, going into game two of that doubleheader, had just one home run for the year. His 288 average is not bad, but with the Detroit Tigers, you're just not getting much power in general. Nico Goodrum has been a little bit banged up for this team. He's hitting right around 230. Jody Mercer currently on the injured list. He was not getting the job done anyway. Jacoby Jones hitting well below the Mendoza line. You've got Greiner at the catcher spot who's hitting below 220. Jameer Candelario is hitting below 210 himself. The list goes on and on. Christian Stewart has three home runs for the year. He's hitting 227. It's just not very good what you're getting. I mean, heck, Brandon Dixon had a 314 average, and Roddy Rodriguez, who has five home runs and is hitting just above 300 himself, they are the best producers for the Tigers at this point. So for that reason, taking a look at a Twins run line in this spot, currently the Twins run line I'm seeing is right around even money across the board. Trying to see if I'm going to be able to get a little bit 
a little bit of a plus price, but with the way that the Tigers have just been completely helpless on offense, I've already locked in this total under. I think that Martin Perez is going to have another nice start. 975, 976 on the betting rotation. It is the Texas Rangers, and they are on the road facing off against the Houston Astros. Adrian Sampson goes for the Texas Rangers, and a little bit of a change of heart for the Houston Astros, which is why this total is currently off the board, as they've got Corbin Martin going to the mound. And Corbin Martin has actually been terrific in the Houston Astros organization. You know me, I typically like to fade guys that are making their first start, but man, across all of his levels in minor league baseball across three seasons, he has a 10-4 record. 231 ERA so far this year at AAA Round Rock. He's got a 148 ERA in 24 and a third innings. He's given up just one home run. And in his minor league career, in 179 innings, he's allowed nine home runs. That's pretty stinking impressive right there. He's got a strikeout rate of about 10 per every nine innings. He only gives up 2.8 walks per nine innings as well. This is a guy that does a great job of just being able to limit all contact. He's got a pretty good fastball. I really like what I've seen out of him. Meanwhile, Adrian Sampson, he's already knocked off the Houston Astros once so far this year, so perhaps there's going to be a little bit of value there. I'm really curious to see where this is going to shake out because when it was supposed to be Colin McHugh going for the Houston Astros, I was seeing the Texas Rangers at a plus 190. At that price, I would certainly be on Adrian Sampson at this point. He's 0-2 with a 4-4-1 ERA, but he does a decent job of being able to limit the card contact. 32 and two-thirds innings, 10 walks, 5 home runs so far this year, and he's backed up by a lineup that has been terrific. Joey Gallo hitting 257, 12 home runs, 28 RBI, going into the team's game on Saturday. We all know the guys that have been doing a great job with the average for the team. Danny Santana, Sinchu Chu, Hunter Pence, all hitting above 300 for this team. You've also been able to get some good contributions out of Elvis Andrews, who's hitting above 320 as well. But then you do have some famine bats with this team as well. Rudnad Odor, Ronald Guzman, and Jeff Mathis all hitting below the Mendoza line, and it's Rubel Cabrera hitting 226 himself. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, top to bottom, they've been pretty good. Aside from whenever Max Stassi plays, this team has a bunch of guys that are all hitting above 250. Tyler White at the DH spot is picking things up. Jake Marizic hit a home run earlier in the series. Josh Reddick and Michael Brantley both hitting above 320. Carlos Correa, Yuri Gurriel both providing some power along with a 270 average. George Springer has been terrific with 11 home runs. Brantley himself has 10. And then Jose Altuve wound up getting the day off yesterday, which is probably a good thing. He's seen his average dip to right around to 240, though he still has nine home runs himself. If this is the number that we were seeing shake out a little bit earlier, I do think that there is a little bit of value with the Rangers, and I was seeing a total of 10. I would certainly play that under in this spot. I think that we're going to probably see a little bit more of a 9 here. I would still probably look at an under here, but for set plays on this, go to my Twitter page at unit underscore 81 in the morning just because it is a little bit too early to speculate plays just to just because there is no line currently up on the board. We do move on to 977-978 on the batting rotation. The Cleveland Indians are in Oakland to face off against the Athletics. Going for the Cleveland Indians, it's going to be Jeffrey Rodriguez. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, it is Daniel Magnan making his first start of the year. Total on this game is 9, and it is across the board with the juice under is minus 120, over is even. 
If you're looking to take a shot here on the Cleveland Indians, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 118 and plus 120. If you like the Oakland A's, that is anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. Megden was a very inconsistent starter last year, to say the least. He had a very good start to the year, and then you could tell that injuries really hampered him, and it just caused him to completely go into the tank. This is going to be his first start of the year. And with Jeffrey Rodriguez, he is 0-2 with his record, but in his starts this year, he's actually been pretty good. I believe he's had three starts this year, 18 and two-thirds innings. He's only given up one home run. The five walks isn't great, but it's not bad. Doesn't necessarily have great swing and miss stuff with 12 strikeouts, but his whip is just a 107, so he's really been doing a great job with that. Meanwhile, Daniel Magnan, he has good stuff, but... Like I said, this is his first game of the year, and I don't know what to expect out of him. And with the Oakland A's, their bullpen has been struggling a little bit. You've got guys out there like Joaquin Soria and Fernando Rodney that are very hard to trust in. Lou Trevino has been good, but even we saw him give up a few runs in recent days. With the Cleveland Indians, we do know that the bats are really, really sleepy to say the least. Carlos Santana hitting 280 with five home runs and 19 RBI is sadly about the high point for the team as as a collective, they're hitting below 220. Francisco Lindor has seen his average jump up to 267, but Jason Kipnis, Jose Ramirez, all hitting below 210. Kevin Ploiecki is hitting below the Mendoza line. Roberto Perez at the catcher spot hitting 220. Leonis Martin hitting 221. Jake Bowers below 250 once again. But a good sign is Jordan Luplo hitting 282. He had a pair of home runs against the White Sox earlier in the week. And with the Oakland A's, it's not like their bats are doing a whole heck of a lot better. Right now, Matt Olson has his average right at the Mendoza line. Jerickson Profar hitting below 200 himself. Robbie Grossman hitting 202. Ramon Loreno hitting 232. Marcus Simeon has seen his average dip all the way down to a 280 along with Mac Chapman. It's just one of those things where you're not getting a whole lot out of this team. Chris Davis has been injured and has been out of the lineup. He hasn't hit a home run in eons. And something that we do know about the Oakland A's is that they are 1-14 and in games in which they do not hit a home run. I feel like Jeffrey Rodriguez and that good bullpen is going to be able to hold them down. The Cleveland Indians, one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues. We've seen guys like Brad Handy, even though he gave up the game a couple days ago, be very good for this team out of the pen. I do have a lot of trust in guys like him. Nick Wintgren has been very good out of the bullpen as well. So for that reason, I am going to be taking a look at the under in this spot. Do not want to lay the minus 120 juice, but I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Indians as well. Currently in Wayne C mode on that as well as the final game on the betting board is 979-980 on the betting rotation. It is the Philadelphia Phillies and they are on the road facing off against the Kansas City Royals. For the Kansas City Royals, it is Jacob Junis taking the mound. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, making his season debut, Cole Irvin. And because Cole Irvin is essentially replacing Vince Velasquez, this is a game that is currently off the board. And this is actually a gentleman, Cole Irvin, that has been terrific in the minor leagues. At AAA Lehigh Valley last year, he was 14-4, 2-5-70-RA, 25 starts. He only gave up 11 home runs in 161 and a third innings. And he's been pretty good so far this year. His whip across all of his stints in the minor leagues is a 1.106. And at the AAA level, it's a 1.084. So he really does not give up the hard contact. He's given up a couple more home runs this year. And 36 innings across his couple of starts. He has given up four home runs, but that's still not a bad clip. He's allowed eight walks in those 36 innings, so all in all, he's been doing a good job with his command. He's a guy that doesn't necessarily have great swing and miss stuff. Throughout his career, he's only got about seven strikeouts per nine innings, but he does a good job, and he's going to be able to turn it over to a bullpen for the Philadelphia Phillies I actually like. Guys like Hector Neris, 
Pat Neshek, Sir Anthony Dominguez. These are all some pretty good arms for this team. Meanwhile, with the Kansas City Royals, we do know what we're going to get out of Jacob Junis. He's had some good starts so far this year. He's had some bad starts so far this year. He's looked good whenever he's pitched against the Tampa Bay Rays. But past that, not necessarily lights out. 5-5-2 ERA. He's given up 8 home runs in 44 innings. 37 punch outs is decent and 14 walks not necessarily bad but a 1-5-2 whip not going to get the job done especially against the Phillies team that was able to light up the Kansas City Royals yesterday. Reese Hoskins has been absolutely terrific for the Philadelphia Phillies so far this year. Double digit amount of home runs. He's hitting nearly 290. He's been doing a great job of being able to drive guys in as he's got 34 RBI. We've seen Odubo Herrera really come on. He had a double and a triple in that game yesterday against the Kansas City Royals to get him on track. He missed a lot of the year due to being on the injured list. You got to think at some point that Bryce Harper and Andrew McCutcheon are going to be able to lift their averages above a 240. JT Riomuto has been used in a DH spot. He's hitting right around 270. Cesar Hernandez hitting just below 300 himself. And Mikel Franco at the bottom of the line to provide some power. Meanwhile, with the Kansas City Royals, you got some guys that are doing a great job. Adalberto Mondesi hitting 280 with over 30 RBI. Whit Merrifield and Alex Gordon both hitting above 285. And Hunter Dozier has been absolutely terrific with the bat. 323 average, nine home runs so far this year. And Jorge Soler has 10 dingers with his 255 average. But Ryan O'Hearn, Chris Owings, Martin Maldonado all hitting below the Mendoza line. Kelvin Gutierrez seems to be coming back down to earth, but his 290 average isn't necessarily bad. But for the Kansas City Royals, you've also got a terrible bullpen. If this is a total that opens up at... I would say nine and a half or greater. Certainly going to be looking at the under. At eight and a half, it's certainly an over. At nine, it's anyone's guess, but I'm going to be looking at the Phillies in this spot. I do think that Irvin has shown me enough at the AAA level that he's going to be able to outpitch Jacob Junis. He's backed up by a better bullpen. He's backed up by a better lineup in general. So, just my initial thoughts. Plays are going to be up in the morning on my Twitter page, at squared one which is where you can also fire in a question if you ever have it for this fine podcast. And I'm always happy to answer those. And I always love talking at you guys. And if you like what you're hearing on this fine podcast you can subscribe on apple itunes google play spotify and stitcher a big thanks to my guest john harnish for joining me in the second segment and let's make today a successful profitable and fun one and i'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow thank you so much for tuning in and happy mother's day